I would like to uh, share a little bit uh, about my testimony. I grew up on a farm in Michigan, uh, uh, pretty close to where great-great-great-grandmother was. And uh, as a matter of fact, she died in the city I was born in. And I never knew that. I was born in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and that's where she died. And um, I really didn't know the history. Of course, I didn't know that history because that wasn't part of me until I married her. Because it's her great-great-great-grandmother. And uh, I grew up there, and just like any other farm boy, experience I want to uh, uh, tell you tonight about is my experience of milking cows. And it really wasn't the cows that I want to tell you about. It was every night on the radio, um, they would play a program called Unshackled. It comes out of Chicago Pacific Garden Mission. And they would tell the story of a person whose, whose life was changed by the Lord. And uh, I would listen to that. My, it would come on. My brother and I was milking cows together, and he was a year younger than I was, and I was bigger than he was then. Not anymore, but I was then. And I told him, I said, Stan... When that program comes on, I don't want to hear a word out of you. I said, I want to listen to that. And so he honored that because he knew what he'd get if he didn't. <laughs> and that was the first time. The first time I heard the gospel. And it really didn't sink in. What sunk into me was... Uh, a person's life was a mess. And something happened and it all changed. It all changed. That's why I believe in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it, 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 uh, I would listen every night. But uh, I didn't get saved until after we were married. Uh, we were married three years, almost three years, almost to the day. Tomorrow, I will be 51 years old in the Lord. Tomorrow. And uh, from that point on, my life changed. I had different goals. Before I got saved, my goal was to uh, I, I was trying to make up my mind whether I was going to put in an in-ground pool or above-ground pool. That's what was foremost in my mind. When I got saved, I didn't get any pool, <laughs> except the baptismal pool. <laughs> and uh, I got saved, and, and uh, a lady, a neighbor of ours, she lived across the block from us, behind us. And we needed a babysitter. We had one child then. We have five boys. 
and he was uh, about nine months old. And we wanted a babysitter, and we heard that this lady's daughter babysat. And so we, she called her up and asked her if her daughter could babysit. And uh, Dorothy was her name, and she told my wife, she said, well, before my, my daughter can babysit, I have to know who she's babysitting for. I have to know you. And so she came over on a Tuesday. I remember it well, it was the 25th of May. And I was just getting up, I worked afternoons. And my wife and her sat down and they were talking and I, I got up and I went out and sat in a chair and I never said a word, I didn't even tell her I. I just sat there and I listened. And they were talking about knowing that they were gonna go to heaven when they die. Well, my wife had told me that before, but she was just my wife, you know? I, but I had the second witness and it intrigued me. And it brought back memories of when I used to listen to Unshackled on the radio. And I told my wife after she left, I said, you need to tell her to come back again. I want to talk to her. I didn't tell my wife what I was going to talk to her about. I was going to tell her how Peter was the first pope. And us Catholics have been around a long time before the Baptists ever showed up. And um, she asked me, she said, uh, Dorothy invited me to go to church with her on Wednesday night. And can I go? I said, you could go and I wouldn't even know about it. I work. So I wouldn't even know you was gone. But yeah, you can go. And that night, my name was mentioned at the prayer meeting. And they prayed for me. The next day, Dorothy came, and I met her at the door, and I don't know what happened. All that, Peter was the first pope, and all that other, it just, it just was gone. It was just gone. But I met her at the door, and at that time, I was a cigar smoker. And I had a big old long green cigar, about that big, and about that big around. I didn't have it lit, but I had it in my hand. And when she came to the door, she opened, I, we opened the door to her, and I said right away, what, before I even said hello, I said, I suppose if I become a Baptist, I'd have to get rid of these things. And she said, the thing that smoked my heart, she said, I would think the thing you should be most concerned about is where you're gonna spend eternity. Wow. It just, it was just like hitting a mule upside the head with a two by four. Got my attention. And I, it, it, it just, all my questions were gone. I didn't have any more questions. I didn't have anything I wanted to tell her. I, I, I just said, that's the most important thing that I want to know. 
And so she came in the house and she told my wife, she said, go over there and sit and don't say nothing. And she said, come over here and sit on the couch. And I just obeyed. I just went over and sat on the couch and she sat beside me and she opened the Bible and she showed me Jesus. She showed me I was a sinner and that the only thing that would take care of my sin was Jesus Christ. And I don't know if she used Romans Road or Ephesians Way or whatever. I just know she showed me the gospel and I got saved that day. And guess what? I've been saved ever since. Ever since. God changed my life that day. God changed my life, and I don't want to go into everything that happened, but I went to Bible college a year later. God forgave me for that, but I did go. And uh, I came, came home. Uh, I went in 1972, came home in 1976. I uh, kind of played... Uh, a game with the Lord for about nine and a half years. I went to church. I taught junior church, my wife and I. Um, we were there all the time. And, but the things of God were not as important to me as playing on the softball team. And so... God had to finally bring me to the place where I said, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? And uh, our boys, I just uh, our, our third boy, Jeff, uh, Mama was singing at the church and we came home from a Sunday morning service and Jeff said to her, she said, Mom, I can sing just like you. And she said, do you want to sing with me? And he said, yeah. So they practiced all Sunday afternoon a song. And Jeff was about that high. And uh, I don't know how old he was, but uh, you were real little then. But anyways, um, they practiced their song. Mama was playing accordion then. And uh, that night, they, they got him a little stand behind the pulpit so he could stand up high enough so everybody could see him. And uh, Mama started playing, and she started singing, and Jeff started singing. <laughs> and he went down behind the pulpit, and every once in a while, he'd raise up and wave at his brothers. And uh, Mama did not like that. <laughs> and she got him home that night, and she said, you are not bringing honor and glory to God. You were, you were showing off. That's all you were doing. And people were not paying attention to the words. They were not hearing the message of the song. She said, if you're going to sing, you're going to sing. And that was the start of the Thren family. All five boys, they all sang 
And in 1985, we made our first cassette. <laughs> Anybody know what a cassette is? And from that time, there were churches that would call us and ask us to come and to sing at the church. I wasn't even preaching then. And uh, we were at a church in Grass Lake, Michigan. And uh, they were at a grass, or church in Grass Lake, Michigan. I was working. And I decided one night after I got done working, I was going to go down there and be in the meeting. I worked days. I was going to be in the meeting and feel what they felt, be part of, a, of the ministry. And so I went down there, and we, we spent, I spent the night down there, and the preacher allowed us to sleep in the, in the uh, whatever you call it, parsonage. Yeah, that's it. And uh, my wife set the clock for three, so I'd get up in time so I could get to work by seven. And uh, the, she woke up at five minutes to seven because she had set the clock for three in the afternoon instead of three in the morning. And uh, needless to say, I called up work and I said, I'll be there by noon. And my foreman said to me, he said, you have a choice to make. Or not my foreman, but the supervisor. He put me on the phone with the supervisor. They was talking about getting taking the summer off and coming back when we had completed all of our churches that we were ministering in. And so I asked the supervisor if that was possible, and he said, Steve, he said, we don't hire people to give them the summer off. He said, you have a choice to make. What's more important to you, your job or your ministry? When he said that, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me. I said, I'll be in to quit Monday. He said, okay. And when I walked out of that office, I felt like I was walking about three feet off the ground. And I went to her and I said, dear, I quit my job. <laughs> she felt like she was three feet under the ground. I said, I know, I, I, I know, I know. I said, I, I know what you're thinking, but this is what God wants. This is what God wants. And so that day, we became the Singing Thren family. And um, we had some meetings all over Michigan and come up December and we had no more meetings and we had met an evangelist named Brian McBride that summer. And he said, what are you doing in the winter? I said, nothing. He said, come to Florida. There's a meeting in Cocoa, Florida, and you just come down to that meeting. And so me, being like I was, dumber than a box of rocks, I said, okay. And we went to Florida, but before we ever got there, we met 
we went to Evansville, Indiana, was in a church there, heard a pastor preach. The pastor came up to me afterwards, and he said, I want your family to come over and do uh, uh, New Year's Eve service for us. So we did. We ended up being in that church, oh, I don't know how many years. I don't know how many years. That's where we moved our ministry was that church. And guess what else we got at that church? Three daughter-in-laws. <laughs> all from that church. And God has blessed us. And I just want to, I, I, I just, I, I can't go through the whole thing. I just, I can't do it. But I, I um, when we started after I got saved, and we went to Bible college. I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 18. I'm not going to preach from here, but I want you to see a couple of verses. I'm not going to preach from anywhere, really. I, I, uh, I'm going to give you something, but it'll just be something short. Uh, I take after my son. Or maybe he takes after me. I don't know what it is. But when, when, when I got saved and when we went to Bible college and we started having more kids, we had another child before we got to Bible college. David came along. And after that, we had two more while I was at Bible college. And when we came back from Bible college, he came along. And uh, as I said, uh, at college, they, did, they had no class, you know, child rearing 101. And so I was reading my Bible, and, and I came across this story of Abraham. And, and leading up to this story, uh, Abraham is home at wife, uh, with his wife in the tent, and he sees these three... Uh, men coming and I don't know when he really just realized it was the Lord and two angels I don't know when he realized that but he did and he prepared them a meal and uh, God made a statement about Abraham and uh, I read that God says this look at verse 17 of chapter 18, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And look at verse 19, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And I read that, and, I, and our, our uh, background, my wife and I, both of us, we come from bro broken homes. Uh, both of our parents were married multiple times. And uh, when I met her, I wasn't saved, but I told her on our wedding day, before we ever got married, I said, oh, we can, 
and I know you're not supposed to see the wife before the wedding, but I did anyways. I don't, I don't care too what's about tradition. But anyways, I told her, I said, um, do you really want to marry me? She said, yes. I said, well, here's the thing. We can go out there right now and tell everybody to go home. It's not going to happen. Or, if you marry me, it's a life sentence. No way out. We're not going to do what our parents did. We're not going to do it. And I made a commitment to her that day, and she made a commitment to me. And I wasn't, I was three years from being saved at that time. But I knew what it does to families because I was one and she was one. We are the only ones in our family on her side, her on her side and me on my side. We're the only ones that got married to one person. The only ones. But we made a commitment that day. The world today does not know what commitment means. It's a promise. It's a promise. And God said, I know him. Can God say that about you? I know him. I know he's going to raise his family right. I know what he's going to do. I know how his life is going to go. I know how it's going to end. I know him. And uh, when we started having kids and I got saved, I said, there are a lot of things I probably cannot do, but I can do one thing. I can do what Abraham did. I can do that. Amen. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because that's what God taught me. He does what he says. Amen. He means what he says. And he says what he means. And he's going to follow through. He's going to do it. He's going to continue. Amen. Yeah. And uh, I said all that to say this. I was going to have you turn to Mark chapter 14. If you want to look there, I'm just going to read it to you because uh, I preach this message a lot. And uh, my oldest son told me, he said, Dad, he said, you know, my Bible still opens to Mark chapter 14. <laughs> said, I just put it down on the table and it opens right up, right? All right, to Mark chapter 14. And uh, I had it marked. Oh, where did, there it is. My mark fell out of it. But I, I want to I read you this in the uh, first nine verses. It said, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. Isn't it amazing to you, it is to me, that 
the, the heathen are not satisfied with being heathens. They want everybody to be heathens. And uh, we, we don't bother them. We don't try to put them in prison. We don't try to get rid of them. We try to preach to them the Lord Jesus Christ. And we try to help other people to find the Lord Jesus Christ. And they want to get rid of us. You know why? Because when somebody gets saved, they have a complete change up here. Not only here, but up here. They look at things differently. At least they should. And these, these guys, they're trying to get rid of Jesus. And they never stop trying to get rid of me. Look at verse 2. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And here's the story starting in verse number 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, ye may do them good. But me you have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. I titled the message that I preached from this passage from verse number 8, She hath done what she could. And that's all God expects. Do what you can. Do what you can. You can't be somebody else. You can't be your preacher. You can't even be like your preacher. God made your preacher a special person. And he made him the way he wanted him. He made you a special person. And he made you the way he wanted to make you. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Just do what you can. That's all God expects. I love this message. Number one, it was a Christ-like act. Christ was the center of her affection. He was the center of her service. She wanted to do what she could for him. It was a criticized act. And you're going to find criticism. They're going to criticize you no matter what you do. They're going to criticize you. Just, I tell people I'm, I'm built a lot like a duck. The water just runs off. Just runs off. 
I'm going to tell you one of the greatest days of my life, and my son knows what I'm going to say, one of the greatest days of my life is when I stopped caring what other people thought. People that don't like me, I don't care. My wife said, just say, well, what is it you wanted me to say? It, it doesn't bother me. No, I don't care. I don't care. Hey, if you're right, you're right. Right? Right. And when I'm wrong, God shows me I'm wrong. Now, do I know everything there is to know? No, I don't, because I'm not God. I'm not God. But if you want to prove me wrong in something, you better bring your Bible, and you better have the verses. Because I'm not going to go by your say-so. I mean, you might not be any smarter than I am. And I, I don't... My wife... She says, she thinks that I'm put on like I'm cocky or something. I'm not. I'm just right. <laughs> I tell people, if you disagree with me, you'll find out when you get to heaven that I was right. <laughs> but it's going to be, you're going to be criticized. You're Whatever God calls you to do, whatever it is, working in the post office, you know, digging holes, whatever, whatever he calls you to do, do it with all your might yes. as unto the Lord. And, uh, and it was also a costly act. It cost her everything she had. And that's what it's going to cost you. Everything you got. It's going to cost you friends. And I'm going to tell you right now, it should. It should. If you choose to serve God with all that you have, doing all that you can, you're going to lose some friends. Because, you know, we, we had, a, we had a, a friend, a young girl, we met her when she was what, 12, 11, 11, 12? Uh, what was her name? Tasha. Tasha. And uh, sweetest girl. And uh, now she's a mother. She might even be a grandmother now, I don't know. But uh, sweetest girl. And... Uh, we got to know her real well. Well, her, her parents were, you know, you know, they go to church, but, you know, they weren't really involved in anything. And uh, she came home from school one day, and uh, they had, the, the kids had been picking on her at school. They were calling her goody two-shoes and... You know, all the names that people like to use because you, you act godly and they don't want to. And she told her parents. And she said, Mom, they want me to do wrong. You know what her mom said? 
then just do wrong. So you fit in. I'm glad she didn't take that advice. It's going to cost you something. It might cost you a family member. It's not easy serving God. God didn't say it would be. <laughs> my, my sister, she's a year older than I am. Well, she's gone now, but she's a year older than I was, and when I got saved, it was a shock throughout my whole family. And my sister made this statement. She said, don't worry, Mom. Give him two weeks. He'll be back to the old Steve. They never saw the old Steve again. He died. Amen. Old Steve died. And uh, they got around to liking the new Steve. They don't like his Christ, but they got around to liking Steve. I didn't compromise. They know where I stand. But it's going to cost you something. But the best thing is verse number 9. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. It was a commended act. It was Christ-centered. It was criticized. It was costly. But it was commended. Yes. And it wasn't the church that commended her. It wasn't her family that commended her. It wasn't her friends that commended her. It was the Lord himself. When I, when I leave this world... I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I'm, to the best of my ability, to the best of my ability, and I know that, you know, I'm no different than anybody else, but to the best of my ability, I am striving for that day, for that day. I can't quit. I'm touching too many lives. There's too many that are down the line from me. I counted them up the other day. It started with her and me, two. There's now 52. Amen. You ask, what? Can one man do? Now I didn't say I didn't say I I did it. But there are now fifty-two, and you know what? I've only got one, two, three grandchildren that are married right now. I got twenty-seven more that aren't married. Who knows where it's gonna spread? Who knows? Who knows what your life can do if you'll just do what you can for Christ and continue on.
John. Wasn't that a blessing? I'm just going to take a few minutes to wrap up kind of the week for us. I want us to look at 2 Timothy one more time. While you're turning there, let me just say this. Thank you, Landmark Baptist Church. Uh, thank you, Pastor Clow, Mrs. Clow, and uh, each one of you. Just uh, Somehow it just seems like every year it just gets sweeter here. And, uh, uh, and, and I know that a lot of prayer goes into these meetings and a lot of preparation. And uh, I'm just, I'm excited. I was telling the pastor today. It's exciting to see what God's doing at this church. And uh, thank you for allowing us to, to tag along one week out of the year. And uh, we've, we've greatly enjoyed it. And uh, thank you for all the food. Thank you for the... We got here and there's great, two great big totes full of food and junk food, most of it. Amen. Amen. And so that really made me happy. But... Um, all the good meals and the good fellowship. Brother Adam spent all day yesterday and part of the day today working on that old bus out there. And uh, brother, that's a great blessing. I really appreciate it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> we know our text verse for the week has been verse 14 where Paul tells Timothy, but continue thou... In the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And we've been looking at some of the things that Paul taught Timothy. And uh, we looked beginning on Sunday, we kind of gave an overview at the men's meeting on Saturday. And then Sunday we began looking at Timothy's journey, really, in its beginnings. And... Uh, then we looked at the last several nights, we've looked at Timothy continuing in those things that he's learned. But there's one more thing that uh, I want us to look at tonight, what Paul taught Timothy, and it's found in chapter 4. Chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, look at verse number 6. Paul says this, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul taught Timothy... Not only how to be a man of God, how to live, but he also taught Timothy how to die. Not just to continue, but to continue all the way to the end, to finish. And uh, I, I heard a song several years ago, and Dad and I sang it many years ago together. And the title of the song is, I Want to Finish Well. I Want to Finish Well. A lot of beginners... And few finishers. I look at my dad's life and I see a man who's walked with God for over 50 years. And uh, when I talk to dad, 
this topic comes up often. He wants to finish right. He wants to finish right. And uh, P- Paul is getting ready to, to leave here. We know that 2 Timothy is the last letter that he's going to write. And I, I, I was thinking about this. You know, we think about this portion that we just read in 2 Timothy 4, and we understand that Paul's getting ready to, to be martyred for his faith. He's getting ready to, to check out. He's already, he says, I've finished my course. But, you know, the whole book, the whole letter is written with this in mind. And so when Paul is telling Timothy, continue in the things you've learned, you know what he's saying? I'm not going to be here for much longer to help you every step of the way. You're going to have to get it settled in your heart that you're going to continue on, uh, whether I'm here or not. Paul finished well. Um, I, I was reading this, uh, this poem and you'll, you'll recognize the poem as I get toward the end. But I didn't recognize the poem until I got toward the end. And this poem was written by a missionary by the name of C.T. Studd. He was a great man. He was a world-class cricket player back in the days when cricket was the sport. And he gave that up to serve God and go to the mission field. He wrote a poem, and the opening stanza says this, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Paul, when he said, I'm ready to be offered. That's really, that's quite a statement. We, we, we're getting to the point now in, in our lives as parents, Rachel and I, our kids are getting older. They're graduating high school. We got uh, one of our children, our son, Benjamin, getting married in the fall. And um, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a blubberer. When, when it comes to graduations, and any kind of main event, you know, major event, I just sit there and cry. And one of the reasons why I cry is because I think about, I think about all the things that I wanted to do with them, and, and, and I think about time lost and opportunity passed and all of those things, and I want to hold on to things because I feel like there's unfinished business. And I think that's fairly common with parents when, they, uh, when, when their children go to that next stage in life. But you know, Paul was looking back over his life and over his ministry, and he, he, he doesn't come across as saying, I'm trying to hold on to this. There's, things I, there's unfinished business. He says this, I'm ready. I'm ready. You know why Paul was ready? Because he continued. He stayed the course all the way to the end, and his life he made to count for Christ because he continued. And uh, I got an outline. I'm not going to preach it. Uh, but, but he says here he's ready in the present. He's ready to be offered. Paul lived his entire life on the altar of God. Now how could Paul say, I'm ready to be offered? Because Paul embodied Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul was ready to be offered because Paul offered himself every day. It wasn't a new thing to be offered. It wasn't a new thing for him to give up his life. He did it every day on the altar of God's will. That's how he could be ready. He was ready when he looked at the past. He said, I have fought. I have finished. I have faith. Praise God for that, for that testimony. Paul is telling Timothy, this is how you get ready to go. He was ready for the future. Because death is not the end. Amen? Death is not even, death is not even uh, the end of life. It's just the separating of the body from the spirit. And you're going to live beyond your physical death. Either in heaven with the Lord or you're going to die forever in hell. It's one or the other. In the lake of fire. So we know there's a future even though Paul is coming to the end of this life. He understands there's a future. And this is what he says about the future. He says in verse 8, henceforth. I like that word. He said, well, you're about to die, Paul. Uh, what are you looking back at all the things you regret? Oh, man, I'm looking forward to all the stuff that's yet to come. <laughs> I like that. He said, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know why the, why the apostle Paul was ready to go? Because he was ready to see Jesus. He was ready to see the Lord. Now, he knew the Lord already. But the relationship on this side of heaven is faith. Isn't that right? We walk by faith, not by sight. But I'm glad, even though we can't see God right now, that doesn't mean there's not a God to see. Amen. One day we will see him. And Paul says, there's going to be a crown of righteousness there for me. And, and I believe that Paul was looking forward to receiving that crown of righteousness from God so that he could in turn cast it back at his feet because Christ was the only one worthy of those rewards. He said, I'm looking forward. He said, I got something to look forward to. Paul not only said to Timothy, continue, he showed Timothy how to continue. Now here's the question, did Timothy continue? Biblically, we don't know the future, what, Timothy, uh, what happened to Timothy from this point onward. But there is a historical record that we can look at. Timothy is mentioned in, the, in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And apparently after Paul's homegoing, Timothy stayed on in Ephesus and he continued to lead the church at Ephesus for over 30 years. The date of this letter is around A.D. 64 or 65. And Timothy continued to lead this flock into the 90s 
A.D. 97. And history tells us, this is what the, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs say, says that Timothy, the celebrated disciple of St. Paul and Bishop of Ephesus, zealously governed the church till A.D. 97. At this point, as the pagans were about to celebrate a feast, Timothy, meeting the procession, severely reproved them for their ridiculous idolatry, which so exasperated the people that they fell upon him with their clubs and beat him in so dreadful a manner that he expired of the bruises two days after. Timothy, according to history, was martyred for his faith, for his stand for the Lord. When you read this verse now in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, boy, it has a little bit stronger uh, uh, application to me when I read it, uh, meaning, he says, for the time, Paul telling Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, that, that prophecy sure came to pass. And it still is coming to pass. Timothy paid with his life for his stand for God. But you know what Timothy did? He continued faithful until the Lord called him home. Boy, I like that. Timothy fulfilled his ministry. And he did so by God's grace. We started, uh, well, I, I, I started that poem of C.T. Studs. I want to finish it because that wasn't the end. We read down to where it said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It continues with this. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. We're talking at supper today. And uh, we were talking about museums. And we started talking about the Museum of the Bible. And at the Museum of the Bible, which is in Washington, D.C., they have an exhibit about the influence of the Bible all over the world. And every continent, they, uh, they, they bring a, a story, a focus on how the Bible has influenced that continent. And uh, for the Americas, one of the greatest influences, influencers with the Bible in America was the man George Whitfield, a preacher. He was a great man of God. He preached the thousands at a time without these things. It said that when he came into Philadelphia to, to hold a crusade there, that, uh, that he, as he was getting off the boat, the Anglican minister, which, by the way, uh, Whitfield was a member of, the Anglican church, the Anglican minister met Whitfield at the, at the dock. And uh, though, though Whitfield was Anglican, they didn't have real great relationships because Whitfield preached the book. He preached the Bible. And so the, the minister of the Anglican church, he, met, he meets George Whitfield at the dock and he says, Sir, I am very sad to see you here. 
To which Whitfield replied, and so is the devil. George Whitfield was a powerhouse for God. He would preach. Benjamin Franklin wrote down in his journal that he could hear Whitfield preaching from over a mile away in the open air. God had empowered him to preach the word. And Whitfield would preach. He would preach sometimes several times in the day. And his sermons were not 30 minutes. So I'm in good company. Except tonight. I'm not preaching that long tonight. He would preach for hours. He would travel with this little, this little stage. And it was very small. Just big enough. Really not even as big as this pulpit. Just big enough for him to stand up on and preach to the people. Crowds would gather and beg him to preach. And most of the time his text was the same. How do you like that? You think one week of me preaching on continuing is boring. <laughs> Whitfield would preach from John chapter 3 verse 7. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And he'd preach on the new birth. Scores of people got saved. We called it the Great Awakening. Whitfield would continue to preach. He had several tours here in the U.S. He would preach over in uh, England. But his most fruitful ministry was here in the States. And uh, he would work himself and preach himself to death. I believe he was 58 years of age when he died. The night that Whitfield died, he was in bad health and he was staying in a house that someone had opened up to him, an upstairs bedroom. And as he was laying in bed and trying to get well, a crowd gathered around the house asking and pleading with him if he would preach to them. And Whitfield got himself out of bed and worked his way over to the window, opened the window. It was a chilly night. He opened the window and he set a candle on the windowsill. And he said, I'm going to light this candle and I'm going to preach until the candle goes out. And then I'm going to go to bed. And that's what he did. He lit that candle and he preached the gospel one final time. When that candle burned out, George Whitfield closed the meeting, went back to the bed, laid down, went to sleep, and woke up in heaven. As I was reading Stud's poem about burning out for God, I thought about Whitfield. He just continued burning until there's no more candle left, until his life was over. I think about the Apostle Paul. He just kept on preaching. He just continued on in the things that he had learned until God called him home. And he committed those things to Timothy 
and Timothy preached and continued in those things that he had learned until God called him home. And that's how truth gets passed from generation to generation. We can't quit. We can't quit. We can't throw in the towel. Well, things are getting bad out there. They've always been bad. Don't believe the lie of the devil. We need a light in this world. And God, listen, God will put a light down in your heart. He is the light of the world. And he tells us, ye are the light of the world. We've got to continue. We've got to be faithful until the Lord calls us home. There's too much at stake. Too much at stake.